I'm WUWM's Kopi Brown, and thanks for joining me for episode two of We Gays, a series that focuses on the LGBTQ community here in Wisconsin. For this episode, We Gays looks at the overrepresentation of LGBTQ incarcerated people and a unique resource provided to them. To understand this issue, I talked with Jane Harris an assistant professor at UW-Milwaukee's College of Community Engagement and Professions. She specializes in the criminal legal system's involvement in the health and well-being of LGBTQ youth. She tells me that LGBTQ people are arrested and incarcerated at higher rates than the rest of the population. They also experience high rates of homelessness, poverty, discrimination, and violence, all factors that drive their overrepresentation in the legal system. Harris starts by explaining to me the characteristics of the pipeline that leads an overwhelming number of LGBTQ people to prison. There are a, a number of factors that contribute to the, the overrepresentation of LGBTQ plus individuals within the criminal legal system. Um, but a lot of it has to do with experiences of discrimination and victimization, both inside of the system, but then also in society at large before people even come into contact with the system. So, for example, we can trace a pathway that um, begins with things like queer and trans youth experiencing rejection from their families and then perhaps becoming homeless um, and then because homeless itself is often criminalized um, coming into contact with the police um, that way or perhaps young people engaging in forms of criminalized survival like theft or sex work just doing what they need to do to to survive um, and then becoming arrested um, for those things. Um, and um, we know particularly related to youth that there's also a pipeline um, that begins in schools, the school to prison pipeline, we call it. Um, and it's received increasing attention um, lately in the context of ex understanding experiences of youth of color, often cisgender heterosexual youth of color in schools. But, but we know also emerging research indicates that LGBTQ plus youth of color in particular are really impacted by the school to prison pipeline. So that often looks like things like experiencing bullying or um, harassment in schools, um, youth sometimes defending themselves and then being punished often even more harshly than the students that were doing the bullying or harassment. Um, um, for that and then um, uh, sometimes you know police being called when there are incidents of, of violence at schools and youth becoming involved in, in the criminal legal system that way, or often youth dropping out of school and then uh, getting picked up for truancy. So there's all these different ways, variations on the, the pathways and the pipelines. Um, but another, another piece of it is the ways in which LGBTQ plus identities themselves have been criminalized throughout history. So historically, we saw that with things like laws um, that made it a crime for people to wear clothing of the quote unquote opposite gender, um, laws that criminalized homosexual sex. Um, and a lot of those laws uh, had been taken, had been repealed or were no longer enforced. But right now, critically, we're in this moment of um, attempts by legislators across the country to pass um, uh, and oftentimes succeed in, in passing these laws criminalizing things like access to health care, 
um, criminalizing performing in drag, um, banning talking about LGBTQ plus identities in schools. Um, and so all of those are examples of this, this long legacy of criminalizing LGBTQ plus identities um, and um, and directly funneling people into the system uh, through those those types of legislation. Yeah, I'm curious now that we see that there's this overrepresentation and that there is this systemic pipeline created. Are we seeing prisons move with this emerging population growing inside of them? Are they um, moving to provide resources? for these inmates who might be trans, for example, let's say, or um, LGBT inmates who might have safety issues? Yeah, that's a great, a great question and a good, an important point because um, it is the case that LGBTQ plus individuals, once they're inside of jails and prisons, there's all this, these factors that are leading to disproportionately high rates of coming into contact with the system in the first place. But then once inside jails and prisons, we know that LGBTQ plus individuals experience um, heightened uh, experiences of discrimination, violence by other inmates and guards and other prison staff. Also, um, routine denial of, of gender-affirming health care, of affirming mental health care, um, of even HIV treatment sometimes, um, and um, also disproportionate involvement in things like um, uh, solitary confinement, which we know has a, a range of adverse mental health outcomes associated with it. So the, the experiences of people once they're inside jails and prisons um, are oftentimes marked by discrimination and violence. And so, yes, there are a lot of steps that um, jails and prisons across the country have been taking, um, sometimes um, have been forced to take through um, uh, lawsuits and other advocacy efforts by LGBTQ plus communities and individuals. Um, and um, it's really, um, it's really a uh, still a very nuanced picture, though. Um, even even with some of those steps um, in place, um, there it hasn't solved all the problems by um, you know uh, in, in any way. So there's still a number of experiences of discrimination and exclusion from medical care, um, and in some cases, some of those steps can only um, uh, actually can make things worse by heightening the visibility of LGBTQ plus individuals inside of, of jails and prisons. So, um, you know, there are some facilities that have um, have particular um, housing um, locations or facilities for, for example, transgender women um, or gay men. Um, but anecdotally, I've heard that um, folks that are in some of those places um, experience um, still ongoing harassment by staff um, and guards who know exactly who the people are and where to go to bring their um, their harassment. Um, and so it can it can um, you know lead to sort of these unintended consequences of um, of ongoing harassment and victimization. I think it's so important, regardless of gender identity or sexual orientation, it's so critically important that we pay attention to all the many pathways and pipelines that lead individuals into the criminal legal system. And with so many 
um, communities and so many members of marginalized communities, when we trace back these pathways and pipelines, we see that they're so shaped by structural discrimination, violence, exclusion. Um, and we see a pattern of our criminal legal system being used to um, to punish um, deviations from quote unquote norms. Um, uh, that's part of a, a broader trend um, that many organizers and activists and scholars are um, talking about with our criminal legal system at large. So it's something that, for example, the scholar Beth Ritchie calls our prison nation, the reliance on the criminal legal system to perpetuate um, heteronormativity, cisnormativity, white supremacy. Um, and so we can't um, fully address those issues until we um, until we address um, these these broader problems with our criminal legal system. So I think it's both it's both important for anyone who cares about um, uh, addressing our crisis of mass incarceration to in particular make sure that we're understanding the needs of LGBTQ plus individuals and the ways in which these particular forms of discrimination and bias are leading to um, our continued reliance on the criminal legal system. Um, I think it's also really important for anyone who cares about LGBTQ plus people to care about people who are impacted by criminalization. Um, because like I said, there we're in this moment where we are seeing so many attacks on civil rights of LGBTQ plus individuals that are only going to make this crisis worse, that are gonna lead to more people being arrested and incarcerated for just trying to, to live, to access healthcare, um, uh, to just be queer and trans in public. Um, and um, so we, you know, we really need to to pay attention to the ways in which our laws and our jails and prisons are being used to perpetuate these these forms of oppression. You just heard Jane Harith, assistant professor at UW-Milwaukee's College of Community Engagement and Professions. Again, she specializes in the criminal legal system's involvement in the health and well-being of LGBTQ plus youth. You know, once in prison, LGBTQ plus people usually lack the ability to choose books and other educational materials that speak to them, but they may be able to acquire those items free through a volunteer-run organization based in Madison. It's called LGBT Books to Prisoners, and it sends books across the country. The program is donation-funded and free of charge. LGBT Books to Prisoners has been operating for more than 10 years, distributing more than 9,000 books. After my conversation with Jane Harith, I headed to Madison to hear about the work that LGBT Books to Prisoners is doing. I know right now there's a group of high schoolers here. Yeah. Um, and can you just describe what that process is that they're partaking in right now? Yeah, so I think they're part of an organized, like a volunteer group through their high school. Um, and we... One of the, I think the, the faculty advisor reached out to us sometime last fall um, because they had heard about us and wanted to come work with us. So we had a group of about the size like a month or two ago. Um, and this, they, they enjoyed it so much that they and some of the others in the, the program wanted to come back work yeah. with us. So yeah, we've had groups from, usually we get university students. So we've had a lot of like volunteer based like sororities we've had coming in. Um, we've had some some companies in the area like Promega 
and Amazon have brought some volunteers in recently. Well, the the volu- the the employees brought brought themselves in, yeah. And wow. um, all of our volunteer sessions are drop in. So if you have a big group, we do ask that you let us know in advance. What does the process look like once you have a volunteer group or, you know, even for someone who might be wanting to come to a drop-in session? What does that process look like when they're here? So they just show up and we'll train you right away. So we have a number of different tasks that are all kind of organized around this, this workflow, which is that someone writes us a letter. We will enter that their information into our database, check to see if we've sent to them before, check on the restrictions for the book. So uh, every prison has its own awful set of restrictions on what people can receive that's continually being updated, and we, we do our best to try to keep up with that. Um, maybe I'll show you a letter. Yes, please. I'll just start with this package that somebody made before. This is the note they wrote, so we must have sent them. Should I read it to you? Yes, please. Okay. Dear friends, thank you for the books you sent out to me. I'm not big on novels, but I did enjoy the ones you sent to me. I did enjoy this art book you sent. I do love cartooning and art books. The ones you sent were great. You do know what you do for people is a wonderful thing. Love, Stephen. P.S. I love Hanna-Barbera cartoons and Van Gogh. So we interpret this request as they really want like more cartoon books. They have a broad interest in like Hanna-Barbera as well as Van Gogh. So... Looks like our our volunteer here, Anya, um, picked out some books to match that. So in this space, th- these are all donated books. Um, we do buy some on occasion when we receive money to do so, but it's mostly all donations, it looks like. So Anya says, Hi, Stephen. Thanks so much for writing to us again. I was able to find a couple comics, a book on oil painting, a poetry book, and a book with some beautiful whale photos. I love your interest in art. Van Gogh is also one of my favorites from Anya Volunteer. So the letters that we we hear a lot from people that this note that we include is sometimes one of the like only friendly personal connections they have outside. Um, so it's to some extent like the most, impart, most important part of our package for some people. Um, and so we just ask people to like, you know, like write a nice note to fill the space. Um, so you'll see a, a wide variety of these around. Absolutely. Now, Debbie, um, what is the scope that you send, you're sending these books out? Is it just here in Wisconsin? Oh, no, we send, we send across the United States. Um, We unfortunately do not send to Texas. uh, And that was a capacity decision because Texas is like one of the largest prison populations. But otherwise, we, we, you know, we get letters from almost every other state, I think. Michigan is the other one that we cannot send to because Michigan does not allow donated books to be sent to prisoners. Wow, and so, so yeah, and I just and that kind of brings me to my next question: is why is it important to send books to prisoners, particularly um, LGBT books or prisoners who, yeah. yeah, might be in the community? So queer people in prison are they do not receive the resources uh, related to being queer or you know like related to being a prisoner as well. So this is like one venue where we know we can we can go in and we can provide queer specific information. We we get a lot of requests from trans people who just like want to learn about who are other trans people, what is it what is it like? Like can I find a community 
that is our focus is mm -hmm. to is to provide resources to people who don't have access to it and prison libraries generally do not have any queer materials I, I know especially during covid people weren't like allowed to go to the library so access to information is really restricted. What is some last things that you think people should know about LGBTQ inmates and just reading in general and the power of wow. books? I, I can't like emphasize them enough how restricted their access is to information. And, and one thing that uh, an organizer said to me when I started was to think about it like I can go into a library or a bookstore and I can get like whatever. I can go on the internet and I can like search for other people like me and learn about what other people are saying. And most queer people in prison can't do that. Um, a lot of queer people in prison are like kind of like figuring things out by their by themselves in a really hostile place. Uh, so it's I think it's really, really important to be able to get people like one, like what they want and what they're what they need, give them the same well, a little bit more agency, like what the agency that I have to go learn. Absolutely. Well, can I chat with you? Uh, Are sure. You, what, what has been some big moments to you? You know, I'm guessing you yourself have sent books, yourself have written yeah. notes to people. Um, can you talk a little bit to that richness sure. that you're getting? So I think the main thing I get is being physically in community with people who share my politics, a place where being trans is par for the course. It feels very accepted here. Um, so I really enjoy sharing that safe space with people. Um, so that's what I'm getting from it. And then what I'm giving that I feel really good about is um, I encountered a lot of notes, uh, basically all of the communication we get from folks shows us the depth of isolation and fear and persecution that people are experiencing. And for many folks, uh, especially LGBTQ folks in prisons, we are some of the only outside contact that they get. Um, what compounds that is that oftentimes places that we are allowed to send books to, they're so restrictive about what we can send that we can't even include our notes. Um, but our notes are a really important part of contact with folks. Can you talk about some of those restrictions? Yeah. Like, what have you come across? Um, so there's sort of two levels to this. There's the uh, on-paper restrictions that an institution will have, and often that is ostensibly um, about safety. Uh, we feel it's really about control. Um, so that will look like no maps uh, of places. That will look like no... Uh, violence or uh, like weaponry or anything or gang stories. Um, sometimes it can be even more specific in ways that feel like it's officially broaching on discrimination against LGBTQ folks. Like there's uh, rules against kink, rules against um, sexual content, but then there the Second layer is the individuals in the mailroom who are deciding whether or not to reject a package or a particular book that we've sent. And sometimes the notes will get back um, explaining, sometimes they'll explain to us why they rejected a package. Um, we'll literally say, like, homosexual content. Um, so sometimes we have to be really discreet about what we send. There's also, like, safety concerns that uh, the person who writes to us might share. Um, where we do our best to make sure that they're not outed by anything we're sending them while still giving them something that affirms you're part of our community, we care about you. Oftentimes the restrictions are about uh, used books. Uh, basically, some of the stuff is really sneaky ways to 
force incarcerated folks to spend more money at commissary. Mm. Uh, like, we're not allowed to send composition notebooks or blank paper to folks sometimes. And that's because those things are for sale in commissary. That's really interesting. It's like <laughs> even the most minuscule things you don't think about are yeah. under intense scrutiny there. Intense scrutiny. And like we have a database of restrictions that for all of these different institutions. And we're usually relying on um, what our writers are reporting to us as restrictions because this is not transparent information that's available on websites. What are some last things that you think people should know just about, you know, again, the power of reading and making sure they get to LGBT prisoners specifically? Yeah, I think don't take for granted the agency that you exercise in your everyday life. Uh, I think maybe echoing what Debbie said, like if you just sort of be more mindful in your day to day life of things that you are able to do that someone who's a victim of the carceral complex cannot do. Think about the ways that you've had access to information and community that are forcibly withheld from other folks. Debbie Chasman and Hollis are organizers with LGBT Books to Prisoners. They spoke with me, your host of We Gays, Kobe Brown. You can hear the first episode of We Gays about the lack of in-home and hospice care for LGBTQ plus people at wuwm.com. See you next month. Support for the Eric Von Broadcast Fellowship is provided in part by Chris Abley.